Welcome to the Happier Life Project with me, Gabby Sanderson, brought to you by mental health and wellness app, My Possible Self, in partnership with the Priory Healthcare. Today, we are talking all about sex and mental health. Sex is one of life's great pleasures, but also it can cause some of life's greatest grievances. And when we start to explore the collaboration between sex and mental health, there are so many factors at play. Enjoyable sex, including self-pleasure, has been shown to ease stress, depression and anxiety. But on the flip side, unenjoyable or painful sex can increase stress, depression and anxiety. Even not having sex can increase stress, depression and anxiety. There are no real reasons to be embarrassed about having or talking about sex. It's a perfectly natural physical act. And yet, there is still so much stigma surrounding it. Shame, embarrassment, performance anxiety, fear. All roads lead to this being detrimental to our mental and emotional well-being which is ironic considering sex can be so good for our emotional and mental health. And if we squashed the shame, got to the root of the fear and learned to openly communicate, to maximize and enjoy the experience, well, we'd be well on our way to living a happier life. Kate Moyle, today's guest, is a psychosexual and relationship therapist and EFS and ESSM Certified Psychosexologist, which if you didn't know what that meant, like I didn't, it's a person who studies human sexual behavior. Alongside Kate's busy therapy practice, she hosts the Sexual Wellness Sessions podcast and is a regular media contributor on the topic of sex, relationships, and sexual well-being. What I love about Kate is how when you talk to her about sex, she is frank, honest, to the point, and so well informed. And it all feels very normal, which is how it should be. Aside from discussing how and why sex can be so good for our mental and emotional health, and vice versa, when it can be the crux of major distress and upsets. We also look at the benefits of self-pleasure, the uncomplicated truth about women's sexuality, sex with your ex and friends with benefits, and what that does for our headspace, and Kate's disdain for the use of the word performance when it comes to our sex lives. This is a really good one, guys. Take notes. Ready to find a healthier, happier you? Let's get started. I am very honest. Uh, honest? <laughs> Let's start that again. <laughs> I am very honest. But I'm very honoured <laughs> to be talking today to a world-leading sex therapist and host of the Sexual Wellness Sessions podcast. Welcome, Kate Moyle, to the Happier Life Project. Thank you so much for having me on. Quick recap about you. You're an accredited psychosexual and relationship therapist who specialises in working with those who are struggling with difficulties with their sex lives and sexuality, including many in their 20s and their 30s, and that's a lot of our um, demographic for sure within the app. 
who are impacted by the stresses of modern life. So you help to get people to a place of sexual health, happiness and well-being. So in terms of like sexual health and starting off there and how it affects our well-being, I thought this would be quite a good place to start in terms of defining sexual health. Well, how would you define it? Yeah, I think traditionally we've always thought of sexual health as basically being STI infection free. That's how it's always kind of been considered, whereas actually we know that it encompasses so much more than that, that it's about how we have sex, how we feel about sex, how we emotionally feel about sex, the sex we're physically having. And yes, looking after our physical sexual health is a part of that. And sexual health screenings are a part of that but it's not about it it, that doesn't just kind of encompass the entire thing and a lot of colleagues and I have a really strong feeling against terms like the word clean Uh to infer Mm. that someone who doesn't have an STI is clean and therefore by association anyone that does is dirty you know this is an infection Mm. something biological that can happen and happens to lots of people and shouldn't be labelled that way. Yeah. So is it about feeling good, maybe, sexual health, or good sexual health is about feeling good about sex? Yeah, I think it is. I think, you know, one of the biggest things that we all battle with in our sex lives is the association between sex and shame. And working through that is such uh, such a big thing. We live in a culture, a society where sex is confusing still quite stigmatized still quite taboo definitely not in line with every other area of our health and as a psychosexual therapist I work with sex from a biopsychosocial approach which is biology psychology and social so we understand that it's not just one of these things but all of them and how they all relate to each other and so to consider our relationship with sex what our sexuality and when I say that I mean the role that sex plays in our lives not just who we are attracted to is how that sits in our lives is impacted by all of those different facets of what's going on both within us but also around us. Yeah I definitely have quite a bit to ask you about when it comes to like the shame factor surrounding um, sex and it's ironic really because the world couldn't continue without sex right (laughs) so we've got something a bit wrong there but I thought Mm. it would be nice to start off with some positives about how a healthy sex life supports good mental health so I just pulled four ways a healthy sex life supports good mental health online from a, a doctor in America. I've, I'm happy to sort of jump in and start there. Or if you want, you could just go for it, whichever you prefer. Well, no, let's, let's talk about the four. I want to know what this Okay, is. you want to know the four. <laughs> According to Dr. Dana McNeil in San Diego, she says four ways a healthy sex life supports good mental health is it boosts serotonin. So sex boosts serotonin, which helps improve your mood and fight off depression. Additionally, one of the hormones released during orgasm is serotonin, leaving you feeling soothed from stress and anxiety. Yeah, you're nodding in agreement. Yeah, the hormone boosts that we can get, the neurochemical boosts that we can get from sex and from orgasm are feel good, you know, a feel good cocktail, essentially. So oxytocin which is released from skin on skin contact as a bonding hormone we see that we can get it even if we're on our own 
but is really boosted in partnered experiences, um, dopamine, so the reward center in our brain that is responding to things that make us feel good and the anticipation of things that make us feel good. And then we also have other hormones that are released post-orgasm that give us that kind of snoozy, sleepy feeling. And we know that these also counteract cortisol, which is the stress hormone, but for lots of people who are struggling with their mental health, that sleep mm. might be something that's affected. And so actually a kind of pre-bed, pre-sleep neurochemical boost of all of these things could actually help with that. But also pleasure makes us feel good. That's the, the definition <laughs> of it. You've, yeah, you've just basically covered two of two more of the bullet points. <laughs> She'd said <laughs> leads to better sleep. She said it's common to fall asleep after sex because your body, like you said, releases a prolactin a hormone that helps you yeah. feel rested and relaxed and like you just mentioned the orgasm also releases oxytocin a hormone that promotes sleep since a lack of sleep can worsen a mental health disorder or increase your risk for developing one sleep promotes a, a healthier more refreshed you and then like you said about making you happy um, she says the cuddling and physical in intimacy of sex also gives a boost to your happiness. Endorphins are one of the many chemicals released in the brain during sex. Endorphins are the neurotransmitters associated with the feelings of happiness, causing your mood to brighten overall as it helps lift depression. Like you see in the movies when there's a spring in the step the morning after the night before. <laughs> that's what that's about. Yeah, it is. But also there's an, there's an element of, I think, here, which is that whenever we talk about sex, we assume we're talking about partnered experiences. And actually, mm. people can get these benefits from solo pleasure, from self-pleasure, from masturbation. And I think that it's an important thing to say, because mm. particularly when all these conversations around sex are uncoupled people, a lot of the population are single mm. and happy with being single. Some people are not happy with being single, but it doesn't exclude them from having all of these benefits. Oh, that's really interesting. Yeah. Uh, well, the last one was boost self-esteem. When you're having sex, the feelings of intimacy with your partner, as well as feeling nurtured and desired, boost your self-confidence and overall well-being. So that one, maybe you do need somebody with you. Yes, but I think that also having an orgasm, building a positive relationship with our body, feeling good about ourselves, experiencing pleasure... Mm -hmm giving ourselves pleasure, I think that those things can also contribute to that. Because if we're feeling good mm -hmm. in ourselves, a lot of what we kind of put out into the world is how we feel about ourselves. And if we're in a good place and feeling good about ourselves, we might notice more of that reciprocated or we feel in a better mind space because we mm -hmm. feel in a good place and we're getting all of those boosts. And that can change how we, you know, our perception of yeah. the world around us and what's happening. So I think that there's no... Yeah, there's no wrong answer. Yeah. I'm really interested, actually, just sort of piggybacking off that a little bit. Why is it that guys seem to be more open, comfortable about talking about self-pleasure, but then with women and girls, it's kind of, it's more awkward, not to all, but it's that seems to be the case, right, that for a female, are we still kind of from generations past, it's just that sort of trickling effect that eventually will fizzle out in terms of like sex is for pro procreation only it's pleasure for the guy but it's like childbearing for the for the female is mm. that is that what that's about do you think I think that a lot of it historically has been about that and a lot of it 
a lot of the conversations historically have all been around reproduction. So basically the definition of sex being sex is penis and vagina penetration is intercourse. And we've seen this complete focus around that as the model of sex. Now, mm-hmm. female pleasure has been left out of the conversation and education for a long time. So the structure mm-hmm. of the clitoris has not even been a part of a lot of sexual education conversations. And lots of people having sex don't have both a penis and a vagina in their relationships. We have lots of same-sex couples. And none of this conversation includes people who are non-binary or trans. We don't see any conversations around people who feel that way in their bodies and feel that way about themselves and their identities. So Mm. it's very, very binary, this Mm. conversation about sex. And when we start to open it up and to focus it more on pleasure and fun, and I think that that ties into what you're saying, you know, we've celebrated certain aspects of sexuality historically, but not other parts, then we're starting to shift this conversation. And we've seen a huge leap in terms Mm -hmm. of, for example, sex toy sales. You know, sex toys are primarily targeted at women. And they, you know, that market is enormous. And so it does feel like that gap is changing. But we're in quite an interesting time where we have this history meeting, kind of historical hidden sexuality of history, kind of being very shameful and taboo, or the right type of sex, inverted commas, versus modern life where we can watch sex on Netflix and things like perfume adverts are really sexualized and Mm -hmm. we're kind of at a a bit of a clash where we're all taboos but the new attitudes and the new conversations and I think the internet has massively changed that. Yeah I'm curious just in your profession do you know what the sex education at school is like now because when I was at school it was I mean almost non-existent and then and then it was I think more about trying to scare you off ever having sex (laughs) it it is better and we see that consent and relationships is being included um there is definitely a shift happening I think it's still not where it needs to be but then we Mm. also see places um charities like the Eve Appeal are doing schemes where they're doing educational schemes with things like know your body where they're going in and doing educational resources and classes all about helping people to specifically identify body parts so that they can identify if they have a problem with those body parts so it's all intended Mm -hmm. to help with cancer prevention and those schemes have been really successful Mm. people often think about sex as something that happens in our bodies but a lot of it is happening in our brains right yeah, the brain is the biggest sex organ in the body, for sure. Really? Mm. Is that why we can be in our heads so much, even though, you know, the body might be moving quite a lot? We're, like, really trapped in the head. Absolutely. And I think that also, you know, our brain is the thing that can change how we're operating, can change our perspective. If we, for example, are finding sex highly anxiety-provoking, we're not in a relaxed, aroused sexual state. We're actually in a fight or flight state. We're actually in a stress response. And that can interfere with sexual functioning. It can interfere with us being able to be present. It can interrupt our perception of our pleasure. And that is because our brain is responding to what it thinks 
or what we mm. think is a stressful situation. And that is to do with how we feel in that context. Mm. And it's not our brain doing anything necessarily wrong, but we, because its job is to protect us, but it clashes when it comes to sex. And that's where a lot of people experience a lot of sexual difficulties. And do you think that part of that as well is the build-up to actually the physical? We're already in our heads before we've even started having sex. Maybe it's performance anxiety or maybe it's like you're just not in the mood. You've not got the, if you were talking about with between two people, one person's got a higher sex drive than the other. Like I mean, there's, as you know, various ways and different ways we can be in our head right definitely and I think that distraction is one of the biggest interrupters Ooh, of yeah. both our desire and our arousal now that distraction can come from our environment from around us or it can come from our thoughts it can come from how we're feeling and the the model that a lot of us use in psychosexual therapy and sexology is something called the dual control model and in a nutshell you know, we're operating on a system where we have a break and an accelerator. And when it comes to sex, it's the things that we have to come off the break as we push on the accelerator. But there are things that are going to push both of those things for us. But as humans, we all have a different level of sensitivity. So someone who is very easily sexually aroused and doesn't feel very sexually inhibited, feels like they are very interested in sex and have sex a lot, they've probably got a very sensitive accelerator and not a very sensitive brake. So it's very easy to feel turned on. Whereas someone who really struggles to focus on sex, get in the mood, to find things that turn them on might have a really sensitive brake. And so we understand how this kind of system of inhibition and excitation in us is also playing a big part. And when we think about sex, it makes a lot of sense because mm. we might be in a context where something feels sexy, we're kissing our partners, but the context is inappropriate. We're out in public, so it wouldn't be an appropriate place to have sex. And so then that shuts it down. Or it also explains why people can have something called arousal non-concordance, which is essentially when the mind and the body don't line up. So we might be feeling physically sexually turned on, but mentally not be there. Wow, it's so complex, isn't it? Just thinking about something I saw you say in a um, an interview. Yeah, it's more common for couples to not be perfectly sexually matched than perfectly sexually matched. And I thought, my gosh, wow, if like more people knew this, it might relieve a lot, a lot of anxiety that it's kind of... Mm. Because all we see is, especially on TV and movies, is the mind-blowing sex scenes and yeah as you know yourself it's kind of like living up to that and feeling like there's something wrong with us if we don't I think that so many of us also compare our sex lives to those kind of scenes that we've seen because we have very little exposure to sex apart from those moments and they're obviously all curated you know acted yeah. filmed but I think that we don't expect to be perfectly sexually matched in every other area of our lives. We don't expect our partner to like exactly the same foods that we do or yeah. have for us to every time we go out for dinner, order exactly the same thing and exactly, you know, we don't 
sleep exactly the same time, exercise at the same time. We don't have the same, exactly the same interests, exactly the same jobs. But we think somehow that when it comes to sex, we need to be perfectly sexually matched. But mm. whilst not asking any questions, whilst not exploring it, whilst not talking about it. So these yeah. all these narratives are so counterintuitive because we are taught that when it comes to sex we shouldn't ask any questions we should just know we should be an expert and our partner's an expert without trial and error understanding a bit of clarification Mm. so we should get it perfect from minute one and then we should be perfectly sexually aligned but without ever having a conversation (laughs) about what it is that we both like about sex we should do that by telepathy essentially yeah. <laughs> and yeah so when we break all this stuff down we do realize that these barriers are very ingrained into our thinking about sex without us necessarily realizing that they're there but they can create a real sense of sometimes that we're failing when it comes to sex when we're not and also mm-hmm. a real sense of that we're alone in our experiences and that for me is something that I talk about being one of the biggest side effects of struggles with sex is that we feel we're the only one and -hmm. therefore we kind of keep it to ourselves that builds up negative feelings and shame and embarrassment and that can really impact our mental health because we feel that something wrong with us or that we're the problem you know all of this kind of negative self-talk when actually arguably most people will probably have even if it's just once or a one-off a struggle with sex in some way shape or form at some point in their lives some people a lot more than others so mm-hmm. why is that not the message that we are putting out into society the conversation around sex lives have good days bad days average days yeah. like everything else and I think that when we do it changes how we feel about sex in a big way is it maybe because it's you know whether we're on our own or with a partner that that it's something quite personal is that why we we think we can't talk about it so much or again is it more kind of from way back when it's like you said it's changing but it's that we don't really talk about it and it's maybe seen as something naughty to be talking about it I think a lot of those things I think that it is you know I think the, the taboo of sex is really really ingrained and even now you know I'm talking to someone I don't know and they ask what I do for a job you can there's always a response and that's just a pretty basic example but we don't have sexual health integrated into the rest of our wellness and our well-being like we do the other aspects of our health and we are getting there slowly and we are seeing that there's you know a bigger market for sexual wellness growing and sexual well-being growing but still a lot of censorship for example things like social media sites don't allow advertising of certain products which can help sexual well-being particularly those that are targeted at women we see that there are a lot of limitations that people struggle to get investment and there are still those barriers in place and I think that there is a big shift and the more it becomes normalized in society, particularly from a younger age. And we start Mm. to have conversations about these things from a younger age, the more also people will be able to talk peer to peer about it. Mm. I think about, I'm in Rome at the moment and I've spent quite a bit of time here this year. My first day that I landed here, 
I started walking around and there were like vending machines where you'd usually get candy because that's at first what I thought they were. But they were actually for like condoms, um, some kind of sex toys, but it was more about protection. But they were in the certainly in the center of Rome, they were every couple of blocks, these vending machines that you could go in and, and, and you know, get what, whatever you needed. And I was like, wow. And then spending more time here, they do seem to be more open about sex or celebratory of sex. And perhaps England is a little bit behind in that respect, maybe from the Europeans. I think it's mixed. I think the cities, there's more of a normalised sexual culture, particularly in like cities. And I think that's that's across the board. But I love the mm. idea of condom vending machines. In the street, I think it's great. <laughs> yeah. Um, so in terms of like breaking down these barriers, would you say at the heart of it, it is communication? Um, something else that you did mention that I saw in an interview is like when we're talking about sex, the hardest person to talk to about sex is the person that you're having sex with which is so true but how can things change (laughs) if you Mm. don't I think it is really true because I think it ties back to what we were saying before which is that we all think that we should have it worked out and I think we all feel this idea of if we admit to even that word admit you know if we say look I don't feel like this is working as well as we like it to or can we try something different or why don't we talk about what we like or what feels good for you then in some way there seems to be an inference that we don't know what we're doing and the inference is if we don't know what we're doing with sex that that must be something really shameful or embarrassing yeah. about that yeah. whereas sex is different with every person that we have it with we co-create sex because every experience a bit like every conversation we have with someone is happening in that moment, in their context between those two people. And so it shouldn't be the same every time. Mm. And we should expect that. But that requires some kind of communication around it. But I think that we never see the conversations about sex happening. So when we talk about seeing sex kind of on screen, for example, we don't see that often represented. Mm. And so that also plays a part in leading us to think that it doesn't happen or shouldn't happen. But yeah, communication is a huge pillar of sexual wellness. And it's the one that I think people find the hardest. And I think it's the one that we don't really want to hear. It's not sexy. It doesn't feel Mm -hmm. exciting. It feels not necessarily boring, but actually it can be one of the sexiest things that we can do. Because if we explore with people conversationally what they like, then we can all have a better time a more satisfying time mm-hmm. when we're making assumptions if we've been taught one model of sex and then we always act basing on the assumption that, that model of sex is applicable to every situation it can't be there isn't a one size fits all model and so therefore mm-hmm. we have to work it out as we go do you think on the flip side as well there's that kind of worry about like offending the partner or if you are the partner and you're hearing it then it's like the issues that could potentially create with oh god they're not enjoying it I'm not performing well enough for them I mean it takes two to tango right yes and that's why I say it's about co-creating even that word performing Mm -hmm. you know like so many people feel they need to perform when it comes to sex and I think we've become preoccupied with the idea of how we perform sexually and actually that can take us away from pleasure because 
the preoccupation with how we're doing takes us away from how we're feeling. If we could go back to shame a little bit, you know, there's so much shame in terms of like, have I had as much experience um, as the other? Like even shame not having sex because you're single or you just don't want it at the moment or for whatever reason. In terms of with alcohol, when things can become a bit blurry, maybe it's there's regret there because you've consented, but you were under the influence like this whole thing of shame is this a lot of what you see within your clients when they come to you wanting to work through things yeah absolutely I think that shame and sex are so intrinsically linked and the way that we can start to manage that deal with it break away from it work through it is by working out how sex works for us as an individual because this one size fits all model that we're all trying to make work at the moment isn't working. And we know it's not working because of the numbers of people that are struggling with sex and they're huge. And it's about us understanding, okay, what is it that's making me feel shame? Where did those messages come from? Because a lot of the time we've been given our messages and our narratives about sex from a generation before who got theirs from a generation before and so on. And so we get them kind of passed down, but they're also... Mm -hmm reinforced by things that we see in society by visible and invisible messages and those messages about sex and how to be and they start early you know we we pick them up very quickly and also conversations like when we say the word sex in front of an adult and they kind of pull back or get twitchy or pull a face or (laughs) that sense that we shouldn't ask is there from quite an early early stage Yeah. And it can also be entwined with religion. I think about my gran, who was a really devout Catholic. She was like a second mom. She was so, we were so close. And I love her to pieces. But again, just, I think, a generational thing. Like, neighbors, I remember being a kid and two people were, they were kissing and going to go into the bedroom. And she was like, turn that filth off. And that happened a lot that it was like, if anything was kind of romantic and might be leading Mm. to the bedroom, it was like, turn the TV off straight away, you know, and bleach your eyes. And I do remember having conversations with her as a kid where if you lived together and you weren't married, you were living in sin. I mean, I still get embarrassed going to buy condoms. I'm like, sort of, oh, maybe nobody see me, you know? And that's still now, so many year, years that I'm a fully grown woman and I still kind of, like, I'm doing something wrong, you know? Mm. You can get them delivered on subscription now. <laughs> well, I've got the vending machines at the moment. I'm all right. Yeah, yeah you're right. <laughs> Yeah, I mean, we touched on it before about that upbringing. It does really, really impact how you view relationships and sex and and performance as well and all of that stuff Mm. if you've kind of like been locked away from it. Well, not even locked away from it. You know, I work with a lot of people who say to me, God, I remember the first time that someone told me about sex. I was 10 and it was in the playground at school and it sounded terrifying. And I held on to that message for a really long time. And that's something really simple, you know, but some people are going to hold on to that information in a different way to others. And some people are going to ruminate over it or create ideas or have it reinforced or take it home and have an adult talk to them about it or see a scene on TV. You know, there's so many things in our environment that can impact us. And I think that's why if people are 
thinking that sex isn't working for them or they're struggling with sex or there's something not right that's why I always say the first thing to think about is what are the messages I've got about sex and do they still fit me because these blueprints Mm. might be out of date how can I question them do I think these are doing me any good anymore or Mm. do I think that I might need to adapt my ideas about sex or update my ideas about sex one of the things I talk about a lot is listening to multiple perspectives about sex so listen to what different people different experts different you know whether it's podcasts like this TED talks books listen to what other people are saying because the version of sex that we've been taught is so tunnel vision mm-hmm. and that in itself can be very limiting and as soon as we start kind of opening it up and exploring a bit more we can realize that sex can work for us in so many different ways and if you've been in a relationship for a while this kind of spicing things up or you know getting the spark back what do you have to say about that do people come to you with those kind of problems they're like oh sex is kind of not really happening or it's getting boring or yeah people definitely um present with those kind of issues but typically it's because there then becomes a lack of wanting or interest or motivation to have sex because sex has become routine or it's no longer working um the phrase spice up I really can't bear but I think that you know as humans we we habituate we learn we get used to things that's how we operate when it comes to our sex lives that's not necessarily a good thing so Mm. research does show that actually people in longer-term relationships who know their partners have really satisfying sex because there's a level of comfort and knowing each other and knowing each other's bodies and what each other Mm. like that can be really good for our sex lives but when sex becomes very predictable that can be a dampener for desire. We don't get as excited because we know how it's going to go. It doesn't build up so much anticipation. And so that's something that we can do something about. But again, it's Mm. about addressing it. And as a couple, if you're in a relationship, it might be something you want to talk about, like let's try something new, let's do something a bit different or let's set ourselves a challenge or make it into a game or whatever we want to do to create a bit of change. And it doesn't take a lot. I think some of those phrases like spicing it up sometimes can be terrifying for people because they think they've got to go and do all these crazy different wild things and actually mm-hmm. it could be something like creating a small shift in your sex life like having sex at a different time of day or starting with the lights on rather than being turned off or undressing each other rather than getting into bed without your clothes on or a different room of the house we don't have to jump to the extreme Yeah, because I was going to say, like, if you're shy, if you're a shy person, and especially as well, if you struggle with body confidence, then that is just terrifying to think about, oh, do I need to invest in a trapeze for the the house, (laughs) you know, or get out the Fifty Shades of Grey books for inspiration? No, it's about making it work for you, because if you feel more comfortable, you're going to feel more confident and you're going to enjoy yourself more. And... Mm. Emily Nagoski, who wrote the amazing book, Come As You Are, she has an amazing workbook called the Come As You Are workbook. I highly, highly recommend it to anyone. She talks about how pleasure is the measure. And Mm. it's just such a good phrase for anything like this, because that's the bit we should be focusing on is like, how does this feel good for me? Mm. Well, speaking of which, I'm super curious to, to know what you think about Breakup sex, so sex with a recent ex, 
and also friends with benefits which I just air quoted for anybody listening on the pod. I think those should come with quite a strong warning in terms of because sex isn't just physical, it's emotional and mental as well, right? Do we have to be mindful? I think we definitely need to be mindful. You know, those arrangements tend to work whilst they're mutual. And as mm. soon as they're not mutual is when people get into difficulties. And that's because one person is more in it than the other or one person starts dating whilst still in one of those arrangements and I think that when we've broken up with an ex there typically tends to be a reason yeah. and some people get back together with their exes and have really happy functioning relationships that time apart that the changes that they've made really work for them but I think yeah being mindful because at some point unless it continues the way it is there will be a shift for one or both partners and that's when it becomes tricky Mm. through the lens of mental health what are some of the the more sort of common widespread problems that people come to you seeking help on there's a comfort in feeling like you're not the only one going through it oh yeah absolutely and I think that that's one of the biggest I think that's actually a real benefit of psychosexual therapy is that you're talking to someone or any kind, you know, whether it's not just psychosexual therapy, having a conversation with anyone about this is feeling like in some way you're not the only person in the world that feels this way. I would say that anxiety in some way, shape or form plays a part in almost every person that I work with as an underlying issue. So whether that's not feeling good enough, whether it's about body confidence, whether it's about pleasure, whether it's about sexual functioning, whether it's about sexual pain. So I work with a lot of dysfunctions and pain conditions, um, people's worries about how they're going to be perceived with their partners, something mentioned earlier, anxieties around lack of experience. Um, So I think that that plays a big part. In terms of more specifics, performance anxiety and sometimes related erectile dysfunction is something I work with a lot. Conditions like vaginismus, which is an involuntary contraction of the muscles around the vagina, which prevents penetration. So it can make penetration or attempted penetration very painful or uncomfortable is really common. We think that that's as common as one in 500 women and sexual pain conditions but also people have physical conditions like endometriosis which makes sex very painful and so there are physical conditions which are also impacting people's ability to have comfortable sex and we Mm. see that also hormonal conditions or stages life stages for example like postnatally menopause can impact and so there is just such a a wide reach for what's going on also people that take antidepressants can struggle with sex so we know that a common side effect of SSRIs is that people can report struggling to orgasm more or feeling sexually aroused and instead of thinking that's the end of your sex life actually working out how you can recalibrate to manage that with the benefits that those medications might be offering you is a big part of it and that again is um, Emily Nagoski who I mentioned earlier she came onto my podcast and we talked about stress and sex and that was something that she brought up because she was told by her doctor that they would be almost the end to her sex life and she said how about we can do something with that instead 
Yeah. Well, speaking of your podcast, the Sexual Wellness Sessions podcast, I mean, today we've kind of really only scratched the surface, hence the fact that you're in season three. I definitely encourage anyone listening to, you know, that wants to go deeper to check that out. You must see big transformations within your, the clients that you do see and have seen, right? From A to B. Yeah, absolutely. And I think that it's, you know, I'm very privileged to do my job. I absolutely love it. And it's, you know, psychosexual therapy is very intimate in lots of ways for lots of people it's just talking therapy but for many people having the conversation that can't be had anywhere else it can be a practice you know a trial and they're getting comfortable for being able to take these conversations out and have them Mm. outside the therapy room but Mm. it's there's something very um I was going to say therapeutic but Mm -hmm. it's obvious but just in us being able to explore all of our stuff in a way that in a way that feels safe when sex doesn't feel like that necessarily in the rest of our conversations yeah it must be like a weight off Kate I ask every guest as we start to wrap things up to set us some homework based on the theme of the episode so in this case what is a simple actionable thing that we can do when it comes to our sex life and our mental and emotional health that will help us on our quest to building a happier life Think about how you define sex and therefore how that's impacting your sex life. Because I think it's something that we can all question. And when we have this idea in our heads, which is sex equals this, and that shapes our sex lives and we feel like our sex life isn't working for us, we have the ability to reshape it or redefine it or make it work for us. But I don't think that Mm -hmm. that's something that we're told. And I think it's a really good way of starting to reshape things. And I think following on from that, then, like I said earlier, listening to what different people have to say, not a plug for my podcast, but I've interviewed some amazing experts and I've learned so much from the conversations with all of them. And they're all on specific topics, whether it be stress, erectile dysfunction, um, Mm -hmm. desire, grief. We did an episode on, but listening to those different voices will start to help you to shape a less sex negative view but also this understanding Mm. of how flexible and fluid it can be and I think Mm. that it's not what we're taught we're taught this is sex you know sex education particularly this is sex this is what you do with it this is how you do it off you go yeah and that's a very small and narrow definition and actually we have the ability to make that so much better yeah do people come when they first come to you are they a little bit intimidated are they a bit shy or are they quite because uh, I imagine as well there's still a big chunk of people that would love to go to somebody like yourself but they feel too embarrassed or ashamed what do you say to those people actually I say I would be more surprised if someone came to a first session of psychosexual therapy really relaxed and happy to be there because the goal (laughs) of coming is to achieve the changes in your sex life that you want and a huge part of that is to do with the the culture that we have around sex and so it's so normal to come in with no I never underestimate how much it takes someone to send the inquiry email to come for a first session it's a really big step Mm, asking for help but I know the most wonderful network of psychosexual therapists, all who have really booked practices and waiting lists. And the reason that that is, is because there's such a need for it. And there are amazing apps now 
which are offering so much advice, which is obviously not personalised in the same way, but has great educational content for people that I think can be really helpful. So apps like Furley, we've got Blue Heart, and there's Mojo, which is specifically for men struggling with psychological erectile dysfunction. And we can get access to a lot of really good quality information. You know, therapy isn't for everyone and isn't accessible for everyone. And I think that it's important. That's why I made the podcast. Mm. It's important that we don't feel limited by that, but know that there are other routes to being able to get something that might help us enough. Yeah, definitely worth exploring more for sure. To find out more on you, it's katemoyle.co.uk. I know you're not taking on any clients, are you? Because you're obviously too busy, but there's still quite a lot of information on your website. And um, at Kate Moyle Therapy on Instagram is a great resource too. Yeah, and the podcast is the sexual wellness sessions, as we said. But there are, you know, Mm -hmm. I'm always happy to offer recommendations in the UK if you're Mm -hmm. looking for a psychosexual therapist the College of Sexual and Relationship Therapists has a directory but there are you know amazing experts amazing books amazing content that if you feel Mm -hmm. that you want to explore some of this stuff there are so many ways you can do it and I really want to leave people with that as as an idea. Thank you Kate so interesting Oh, I'm so pleased. Well, thank you so much for having me on. Thank you for doing what you do. That's a wrap. Okay. <laughs> oh, thanks again to Kate Moyle. She's great, isn't she? And a big thank you to you for making it through another episode of the Happier Life Project with me, Gabby Sanderson. If you are suffering with your mental health, there is a crisis button on the My Possible Self app, which will signpost you to the correct information for immediate expert advice. Those of you who are listening not on the app, but on one of the podcast platforms, the My Possible Self app is completely free to download. We've got so much great content on there and you don't need to worry about it costing you anything. Make sure you subscribe and leave a review if you found this episode helpful. And to find and follow us on social media, we are at My Possible Self and I've been at Radio Gabby. So please do take care and I'll see you on the next one. Bye for now.